historical narratives. Those two chapters sort of finalizing the first half of Isaiah, dealing with the Assyrian threat. Now we're moving up, probably though chronologically moving backward. There's some debate about this, but I believe chronologically, chapters 38 and 39, occur before 36 and 37. For several reasons, I'll say that. A couple of them I'll have occasion to talk about as we go through this. Um, and, but that we put these out of chronological order because 38 and 39 are ultimately going to show us that the next threat against Judah would be Babylon. And I believe that that leads into the rest of Isaiah. That's much more dealing with the Babylonian problem than the Assyrian problem. And so for that reason, we flip-flop the chronological order. And the 36 and 37 chronologically occur after 38-39. So, let's look at this. Chapter 38, with somebody reading 1-8. to eight. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to them and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Save a house of order, for you shall die. He shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart, and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add fifteen years to your life. I will deliver you in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and will defend this city. This shall be a sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do this thing that he has promised. Behold, I will make the shadow cast of the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz turn back ten steps, so the sun turned back on the dial the ten steps by which it had declined. All right. Hezekiah has a real problem in this chapter. What's the problem? He's very, very sick. And through Isaiah, the Lord tells him to do what? Get ready. You're going to die. And how does Hezekiah respond to that news? By praying. And mourning. Weeping bitterly and begging the Lord for mercy. He really doesn't want to die. He doesn't pray and say, okay, I'm ready to go, God, go ahead and take me. He prays and says, I, I've been faithful to you. And, and he's just really pleading for, for mercy. He wants to continue to live. I don't know, how would you respond to that news? That's, you know, kind of, that would be a sobering thing. And uh, what does the Lord tell Hezekiah through Isaiah? Fifteen more years? I'll give you fifteen more years. And uh, how would you feel about that? I want you to ponder that for just a moment. Let's say that that you have, there was a prophet of God here, and he told you you'll have fifteen more years to live. How many here would feel really relieved? 
to know that, that you had 15 more years to live. <laughs> what? <laughs> How many of you would feel a little uneasy about knowing that you had 15 more years to live? Yeah. You know what that makes me think? How long are you planning on living? I think most all of us are planning on living more than another 15 years. I'm 51. But if somebody from God told me you've got 15 more years, my first thought would probably be only 15. Oh, do, you, do you expect you'll die one day? Most of us do. <laughs> You're not expecting it any time in the next 15 years. You know, theoretically we believe that. Practically we don't think it's going to happen. You know, not this year. Not today. So, he says you've got 15 more years. Now, after the news he's just been given, I think that was quite a, you know, relief to him. And he says also, verse 6, I will deliver you in this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. Now, that's one verse that leads me to think this is chronologically before 36 and 37, where he actually does deliver him from the king of Assyria. Uh, so I think he's telling him two pieces of good news, 15 more years on your life, and deliverance from the Assyrians. And God gives him a sign that Hezekiah was willing to trust in, in contrast with Ahaz from back in chapter 7, who refused the sign. And what was the sign? Shadow going backward. Yeah, you know they had sundial type of stuff. And, you know, so you can tell what time it was by how far down the shadow was on the stairway. And, well, the shadow went back up ten steps. It was like the sun, you know, going backwards or whatever. However that happened. And it's in, ironic, the stairway was named for who? Ahaz. Kind of reminds you again of that sign that Ahaz refused. But this is sort of the proof to Hezekiah that God really was going to give him 15 more years. Comments and thoughts through verse 8. Yes, please. Uh, I wonder if there's any application to maybe the Hezekiah goes to the Lord and he says, uh, Remember now, Lord, I will teach you how I have walked before you in truth with the whole heart. Maybe, I don't know, I'm asking, would there be an application we can make in our lives? Sometimes I think I feel like I'm not worthy to say, I've, I've been trying to serve you now. I've been doing my best. Uh, is there some merit in that? You know, that Hezekiah is here. Look, I've, I've tried to serve you. I've been serving the truth of the whole heart. And says God hears him. You know, I wonder. I don't know. We ought to be able to say this. I mean, I, 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 and Hezekiah wasn't perfect, but he was. He was honorable in his determination to serve God. And so I think, you know, it's probably instructive to think about being able to say something like this. Chuck? Um, yeah. You said that Shagrim died in 681. Yes. Um, so what is it? Are you been dead after his victory? Yes. Yes. I think Hezekiah died in about 688. Um, there's a debate about the dates of Hezekiah but his, I think Hezekiah had a co-regency with Ahaz from about 729 to 715, 
and then ruled on his own from about 715 to about 688, 686, somewhere in there. Okay, then? Um, I think most of us know people who, you know, doctors or other people have said, you know, you're going to die because of cancer or, or uh, you know, a heart attack, something like that. And I think we can find comfort in saying, well, we still got God to pray to. God can still, you know, turn us around. But think of the despair you go through. God himself said you're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> you just stop there. He said you're going to die and you shall not live. And, you know, and so think of the, the great despair that the would have been in. And yet he still fights with God. You write to Jacob when, he's, when Jacob wrestles with the angel and says, No, I'm not going to go until you, until you bless me. You know, so even when God gives his judgment, we still need to pray, for, pray to God for ourselves and just know that, that God can change his mind if he sees a fit. Good point. Yes, Chris. Can we, it, this seems a little contradictory sometimes to me, just that we put too much value in our life anyway. Yes. Doesn't it? I mean, and the fact that the Lord answered him, is he condoning that we live at all costs? Uh, are we, you know, does our merit to God, like someone mentioned, mean anything that we should live longer? Is that a blessing to live longer? Those are very good questions. <laughs> God does give Hezekiah the blessing uh, or the, the opportunity to, to live another 15 years. You know, he answers his prayer. Now, you know, there would be some reason to debate how helpful that was to Hezekiah. Sometimes God answers our prayers, and That's it's not true. necessarily the best thing. That's true. So, I mean, that is a possibility. I think here. given what happens in the rest of the story, you could debate as to whether or not it was such a great blessing that Hezekiah continued living. Maybe it would have been better off if he had died. I don't know. Seth? I think uh, Hezekiah's sickness made look at as a faith builder that was sent to him by God. Because I don't think he had an intention of letting him die without having an heir to pass on the line of David. Manasseh wouldn't have been born at this point. Probably not. But also in 2 Kings 20, the parallel, you get this image that God is almost waiting for Hezekiah to respond. Because there it says, before I said, I didn't even make it out of the middle court, that he had a response to come back to tell Hezekiah that he's going to live. Yeah, and there's a lot of different ways to look at some of these things, and I, I don't know, I'm just not sure how far the text carries us in being able to make certain determinations about all of this. Yeah, Chris. Is it possible, one other angle of that is, God often used maybe his, his people, his kings, their lives as uh, signs to the other nations you know, so his preserving Hezekiah through this ordeal with Sennacherib even, whereas, you know, that might have been a, a sign to the other nations, whereas if, if Hezekiah died, then the, then the king say, see, uh, your king can't even preserve his own life. So that was certainly the case in, in some situations where God preserved or, you know, so it was, I almost see it slightly different in those situations. He was using more of a physical display of his his power through the kings and their reign. Yes. And, and, you know, I mean, maybe some 
of the question about whether or not Hezekiah ought to pray this and how much of a blessing it was that he receives this depends a little bit on why he's praying for this and what he does with it. There are some good reasons to live. There are some good reasons not to. And there's some good things to do with an extension of life and some things not to. And so there are several things that we can comment on as we continue going through the story about that. But I think it's worth raising those questions and thinking about. Uh, and, and certainly from the perspective of the New Testament, somebody like Paul, continued life is a blessing in some ways, but not in others. Philippians 1 would certainly indicate that for us ourselves, death would be preferable, even though living on is a blessing in the work we can do in the whole service. Tim? Yeah, um, seems like Hezekiah is a pretty good guy, especially compared to some other kings. And so the challenge of Assyria coming up, God not wanting Jerusalem to destroy yet, he needs to be a good guy in power at that time. The same thing as like, the good people sometimes have the worst jobs, like Joseph and like Paul and Hezekiah, these good persons, like he's responsible for this great task. And so maybe this is just God, yeah, certainly. I mean, this whole scenario should be a faith-strengthening thing for Hezekiah. I mean, he was very, very sick, mortally ill, and God did extend his life. He got well, just like, you know, Isaiah had said he would. Shame. Well, I'm still, I'm still not convinced that in telling Isaiah to pray to his God was, was you know, a totally pagan kind of thing. You know, I tell people to pray for me, and that doesn't mean I don't think I can pray. So maybe that would be a stronger case even on that side of that question. Look. A lot of times we look at stories like this where people are healed, and sometimes we look at it as though it's not applicable. Uh, the truth uh, lady I know of that uh, attended with us, and she uh, had to have a heart transplant, and she wasn't able to. The doctors told her that she would only have about two years to live, and she lived another 10 years because the people at the congregation were praying for her. So these things still do happen. We need to keep that in mind praying for her. She hasn't lost any of her talents. Well, I know he doesn't like strongly make a big point about it. He says like he wept bitterly. I know Hezekiah mourned a little earlier. But I think like it's really helpful for us when we really are presented with this huge problem or even any problem that just messes us up or whatever, to just really turn to God and really spend some time thinking about it and just looking over it seriously and I guess in a sense mourning over it and uh, just really looking to God and his word. And I guess it's really helpful to do that, I think. Yes, it is. Nathan? I think Hezekiah still had a lot more of a purpose to to his life. And even, you know, if this didn't happen before, like you're suggesting, I mean, the people did listen to him, or the, the officials listened to him when he told them not, when he told them not to answer uh, Rav Shaka. I mean, he still had influence. Yes, he did. He was still directing his people in a good direction. And I think uh, Paul, in 2 Corinthians, he despaired of his life, but God delivered him. I mean, that wasn't a spiritual weakness of Paul. Paul wanted to be with Christ, but to live on that more fruitful labor. Yeah.
Good, good thoughts. I mean, you know, some of these questions I don't, I don't know the complete answer to. It's, it's interesting to think about and, and to continue to try to see in the text the answers as we can. And sometimes we may not know all the answers. And uh, sometimes there may be different angles to consider. But good discussion. Uh, by the way, I'll tell you kind of what my plan is so that you can uh, plan. We'll go about 15 more minutes and then we'll take about a 15 minute break. So that's, uh, I'm, I'm going to try intentionally to extend the classes for a longer period of time, maybe take slightly longer breaks. Uh, you all are paying very good attention. I appreciate that. It just helps us to get a little bit more done in the time that we've got. Uh, we're going to be very challenged to try to uh, get through these 31 chapters in three days. Uh, and I want to get as far as we can anyway, so that's why I'm doing that. I appreciate your attention and, and help in that. Let's go ahead and look at the next section, 9 to 14. <clears throat> A writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after his illness and recovery. I said, in the middle of my life, I am to enter the gates of Sheol. I am to be deprived of the rest of my years. I said, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. Like a shepherd's tent, my dwelling is pulled up and removed from me. As a weaver, I roll up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day until night, you make an end of me. I composed my soul until morning. Like a lion, so he breaks all my bones. From day until night, you make an end of me. Like a swallow, like a crane, so I twitter. I moan like a dove. My eyes look wistfully to the heights. O oh Lord, I am oppressed. Be my security. This is the first half of this uh, statement to, uh, to the Lord, kind of a poem. And in this half, he's looking back on how he felt when he knew he was going to die. And how did he feel? Fragile. Fragile. Deprived. Deprived. And not very happy about it. I think verse 10 is, is quite interesting. In the middle of my life, Interesting expression right there. The middle of my life, I'm to enter the gates of Sheol. I'm to be deprived of the rest of my years. Isn't that exactly the way we look at things? You know, um, when the middle of your life? <laughs> Probably the rest of it after the age 40. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, who's to say? Not the middle of your life if you're going to die tomorrow. Uh, but we kind of see a certain allotment of time as kind of what's ours. And if it gets cut shorter than that, we feel like we're sort of being deprived of the rest of our days. As if we've got a certain quantity that we're sort of, you know, got the right to. And if we don't get all those, then we're being cheated out of something. You know, the fact is, we've got today. Maybe not all of that. It's really all we know we've got. There's, there's no real guarantee of, of a certain quantity of days. But I, I think it's really, you know, bothering him. Now, in part because he won't see the Lord in the land of the living. I mean, and some things he'll say later, I, I think part of it is, you know, he wants to continue worshiping and praising and serving God here. But he looks at this in, in very poetic ways. You know, he sees it like the shepherd's tent being pulled up. 
You know, his life nothing more than a tent that's getting yanked up, yanked up. I mean, you know, the stakes are being pulled. It's 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 over. Or it's uh, like a, a weaver. You know, I think the idea is like um, I don't know. This has to do with weaving and the loom and so forth. But I, I think about it with like uh, I've been with Sandra before uh, to the fabric store, and they they unroll that that cloth from the bolt. And they measure it, and at a certain point, they cut that cloth. Well, his the cloth of his life is just about to be cut. You know, that 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 arm is just about to go down, and I cut off his life. That's exactly what we're doing. We're sort of weaving our pattern on the loom of life, and, and at one point or another, the arm will come down. That'll cut it off. That that's what life's all about. Or uh, he said, from day until night, you make an end to me. It's like the day's almost up. The darkness is coming. And uh, it's just really hard for him. He feels sort of uh, perhaps um, that God is against him in doing this. He feels oppressed. Now, when he prays this prayer, it's after it's all over. But he's, he's, he's going back and this is his description as to how he felt and what he went through mentally and emotionally during this period. Comments and questions. His perception of what he can do, right? Verse uh, 14, like a swallowed crank, so I twitter, I moan like a dove. He kind of realizes the Lord says, I'm going to, you know, your life is going to end. And all he can do is pray to him. It's kind of like, I'm helpless, you know. All I can do is kind of twitter like a bird and ask for help, you know. Completely and utterly helpless, you know. Which is true, yes. Good point. Other thoughts? Yeah. I think uh, it's, uh, toward the end of this the, the, the section here, he makes a lot of comparisons with animals, with doves and with all these different kind of uh, animals. And I think he realizes that he's not that different. I think it's very easy for us to be puffed up because we're more intelligent species and we're the strongest and we're, you know, we can make you know, cool stuff like microwaves or whatever. But, <laughs> but really, we are going to go about this earth. We're going to die just like any other animal in here. So really, all that counts is how we live this life that God's doing to us. Amen. Good point. That. I think it's um, a real testament to his faith. He talks about um, like a lion, so he breaks on my bones. But then at the end there, he goes back to God and says, Lord, be my security. You know, he knows that God did this to me, but God can also say, Amen. Yeah. Good point. Other thoughts? Jaden. What does it mean there, 14, uh, be my pleasure safety? Well, I think he's just asking God to uh, kind of like uh, post bail for him to get him out of this uh, crisis. You know, he's like he's in the prison of death. The jail door is about to close. And so he's saying, you know, post bail for me. You know, pay, pay my debt off so I can, I can be released from death. Something like that. Anything else? All right, the second half of what he prayed to God, 15 to 20. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. I will wonder about all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these is the life of my spirit. O restore me to health, and let me live. 
Well, for my own welfare, I have great bitterness. It is for you who has kept my soul from the pit of nothingness. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol cannot thank you. Death cannot praise you. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. It is the living who give thanks to you as I do today. The Father tells his sons about your faithfulness. The Lord will surely save me, so he will play my songs and string instruments all the days of our life at the house of the Lord. This is a tough section. In part, it's a tough section to even understand. Um, and if you read different translations, you're going to come up with some different things. So that, that's something to think about, you know, right there. He seems to be talking about um, some of the, the blessings uh, that he's received and, and what that makes him feel as God's given him an extension of his life. Seems to humble him in verse 15 and 16. Now there's this question about the bitterness of his soul. But the, really the idea of the bitterness of his soul, maybe the humbleness, humility of his soul. Is being, he's been humbled by this experience as he's received God's mercy. Uh, and God's let him live. And so he's very thankful for that. He appreciates, you know, what's happened. Uh, and he's very grateful to God. He's cast his sins behind his back in verse 17. You know, he says, Sheol cannot thank you, death cannot praise you. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. So he says that, you know, the only way he can really express his gratitude to God is for God to have forgiven his sins and to have spared his life like he has. And so now what he's determined to do, in verse 19, to give thanks to God, to tell other people, like his sons, about God's faithfulness, and to praise him all the days of his life. You could never praise God enough. There's always more praise that you owe to God. So it seems to me like in 9 to 14, he's talking about how he was grieved. And now he's talking about how he's affected by this with the humility and with the, the gratitude and, and the, the praise that he wants to offer God for God's very life. Now, now, the New American Standard doesn't reflect that as clearly as some of the other translations do, but I think that's the general idea. Thoughts and comments? I love his attitude in verse 17, where he states that God was there for him, especially when um, it is you who has kept my soul from the pit of nothingness. Then I have a sign that says, um, for destruction. And that's exactly
Well, for one thing, you can't praise God on the earth when you're not here. Maybe, especially in connection with the sins and so forth, maybe the idea is if he dies under God's wrath, he's lost and he won't be able to praise God. So it may be that God's forgiveness and sparing his life is giving him the opportunity to honor and praise God that he would not have had had he died under God's wrath. It's also Hezekiah's view of this. That's right. I mean, it's an earthly view. You know, he, he's saying those that have gone down to the pit, they certainly can't, you know, hope for faithfulness. And those that, and it's only the living that can give thanks. He still has, it still appears quite a worldly view of, uh, you know, life as a blessing. Which, to him, it certainly, that's what he was praying for and that's what he received and that's what he was thanking God for. So how he viewed it. Yeah, you do have those kinds of expressions in several passages. So, you know, perhaps, I mean, certainly at least on this earth, we can only praise God while we're here. And if we die under his wrath, we don't praise him. So, you know, those are at least possible considerations. Did Hezekiah expect that if he died at this point, he would be dying under his wrath? Well, it makes me wonder. Yeah, I mean, some of what he says, you know, you uh, in verse uh, 17, you kept my soul from the pit of nothingness, for you cast all my sins behind your back. Uh, maybe the idea would be uh, a death under God's wrath. And even what he said in 13 and 14, where he seemed to see God as an enemy trying to break his bones. Maybe this, uh, this death would have been some kind of a punishment. Well, in verse 3, though, we do see that he... He says, remember now, uh, O Lord, I pray, how I walk for you in the truth. So, I don't know. It's kind of confusing. You're right. How to put all those together? I don't know if he's saying, I've, I've generally done well, you know, forgive me. Uh, it's, it's hard for me to know uh, exactly, you know, how to look at all of that. Yeah, good, good questions, good comments. Maybe. I think for at least most of us, we're young and healthy and probably don't really understand how it feels like to be mortally ill. And even a person of faith who feels mortally ill likely has some doubt that we don't understand in our, in our youth. Yeah, good point. Anything else? So look at 21 and 22. Now Isaiah had said, let them take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil that he may recover. Then Hezekiah had said, what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? So that just sort of, um, you know, finishes the story. This is the medicinal treatment, apparently, that was used. Not the main way he was healed, but that was also done. And, uh, you know, Hezekiah received his health back uh, and uh, continues to live another 15 years. Good point. So, if you think about an extension of life, think about using it to praise God. Uh, that's that's certainly the right reason to want to live. What? Hospital, this doctor, whatever that may be a blessing, but it still is the Lord, and we shouldn't think of technology as 
Amen. Good point. All right. Uh, let me say a couple of things. We're going to stop here and take a break in a second, but I want to uh, give a few instructions about that.